Production made possible in part by MedPlus Advantage. You're listening to Radio Rounds, a talk show created and hosted by medical students and physicians in training, where today's stories are told by tomorrow's doctors. I'm Shami Das. Coming up on today's episode, does the term patient-centered really matter? That's one of the exciting things about this concept of patient-centered care. Uh, It's not only warm and fuzzy and touchy-feely, but patients actually do better. So they're more satisfied with their care, and they actually have better outcomes. Diabetes control is better. Hypertension control is better. Um, Now practice risk is lower for physicians. Mm -hmm. There are lots of benefits to it. And what's nice is it's simply having the attitude that it's important, that it's part of my job, and the skill set to be able to do it. And the skills are easy to learn. Now, more on how we can focus on bringing humanity back to medicine through patient-centered care. We will hear from Dr. Augustine Fortin of the Yale School of Medicine right now on Radio Rounds. Welcome back to Radio Rounds, everyone. Today, we'll hear from Dr. Augustine Fortin, who's the director of the Psychosocial Curriculum at the Yale Primary Care Internal Medicine Residency Program. He's an associate professor of medicine and is also director of communication skills education at the Yale School of Medicine. How can we, in a rush schedule, take time to really listen to our patients? Imagine being a patient faced with confusing directions, often with little time to interact with your physician. Dr. Fortin has been a pioneer in simplifying literally into steps how we can focus on the patient as a whole instead of their symptoms. Good afternoon, Dr. Fortin. Thank you so much for being with us here on Radio Rounds. I really appreciate you taking your time out of your busy day to join us on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. What brought you into medicine? It seemed from the beginning that medicine is what I felt called to do. Call is a, it's a difficult phrase, you know, who's doing the calling, I guess. Yes. But for, for me, it, it really felt like a, a vocation, a calling. It's just what I was meant to do. I wanted to help people, and I really loved science and was good at it. So it seemed like a really natural fit. I have to admit, at least in retrospect, seemed more about diagnosing and treating disease and less about actually caring for people. Right. So I think even though I had a a sense of how I wanted to live my life in relationship to other people and in relationship to patients. It, I, I think I moved away from that. Like a lot of medical students do, you, mm-hmm. you really get uh, submersed in the science and it seems the big focus rather than the person of the patient. And it wasn't until really in my residency where I rediscovered this. I had the good fortune to train in a primary care internal medicine program, which mm-hmm. was very person-centered. And, um, in the midst of all the busyness and the, the work and the high learning curve, I still uh, recaptured, if you will, that sense that medicine is more than just find it and fix it or, you know, diagnose it and treat it. That it really right. is about helping a person who happens to have an illness um, navigate that, that illness. But time usually is the constraining factor. A lot of people, you know, when you have a full uh, full load of patients either on the floor or in the outpatient clinic, there's such a limited limitation of time. How can we, you know, really take care of the patient fully without really getting a chance to really understand them because of time? 
I, I think that's a challenge. Um, there are things we can do ourselves, and there are things that the system might have to do. Because, of course, health systems are much more interested of late in becoming patient-centered health systems, and there may be some changes they'll need to make. But, but let's talk about what, what mm-hmm. we can do, what I did, uh, because that, that's something we can do now. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it, it begins with an attitude. The okay. attitude that my job is to help this person who, frankly, doesn't want to be in the hospital, doesn't want to right. be dealing with me, and, and may not even want to be coming to clinic if they're <laughs> left ill and it's a routine visit. You know what I mean? Sure. The illness gets in the way of life, so recognizing that is it, helpful for me. It makes me want to be more kind, more uh, understanding, more empathic. Mm-hmm. So the way that I interact with patients allows me to get to know them as people without taking at least much more time. Maybe it takes another 30, 60 seconds, but maybe right. not. And I'm not, I'm not a psychiatrist. Uh, I'm an internist. So I, I have a, a time schedule in the outpatient setting that is, you know, 20, 30 minutes at right. most right. with patients. And regardless of that, I can still connect with my patients and uh, find out who they are, not just what they have mm-hmm. in terms of diseases. A lot of it has to do with good listening skills, okay. asking the right questions, staying out of the way sometimes, and the other is to really focus or listen for the emotion that mm-hmm. might be actually expressed or might be just below the surface. True. Because let's let's face it, nobody has it on their eye calendar to get sick and end up in the hospital. Right? <laughs> that is nobody nobody plans for it. So there must be an emotion attendant to the illness experience. And it doesn't take much effort on my part or any physician's part to uncover that emotion and then to be able to communicate empathically with the patient. Do you think medicine has lost its humanity? I know in my father, when he was a physician, he teaches me about his time and how he had, there was really a different kind of focus. Now it's just with the managed care system and just like we said about the time pressure that we, we, kind of lost that humanity. We're just seeing patients and then discharge treat and street, as they say sometimes. Mm. Do you notice that too? I, I, I honestly don't think we've lost our humanity. Nobody would have gone into medicine if, if what they wanted to do was treat and street. Right? It's too, too hard a job, too frustrating a job, yeah. uh, too difficult a way to make a living, to be perfectly honest, if that's the goal, just, you know, throughput and get them out of there and make as much money as you can. And to exactly. me, I can't. Be, I think there are very few physicians who actually went into the profession for that reason. So we all have a humanity, and the key is not to let it get wrung out or, or withered uh, because of the system. Mm-hmm. There is a, a pendulum swing back toward a much more person-centered medicine, mm-hmm. and I think it's a very exciting time in medicine. So I'm not disgruntled at all. I'm really thrilled that finally this thing that I felt in my bones since before, since I fantasized about being a doctor without really Mm -hmm. knowing what a doctor did, is actually now being valued. There's money attached now to (laughs) patient-centered care. Medicare has begun withholding a certain percentage of money it otherwise would have paid to hospitals if the patient satisfaction scores are low. And one driver of patient satisfaction scores is, how did your doctor treat you? Right. Did your doctor listen? Did your doctor seem to care? 
Did your doctor explain things to you in a way you could understand? Well, not only that, also, you know, the, just the bottom line is that the patient outcomes are often better if the patient is in a proper relationship with the physician, you know, better adherence to medication therapy, and just general, just general you know, clinical outcomes are often better if the patient is treated well, you know, emotionally and physically. Absolutely. And that's one of the exciting things about this concept of patient-centered care. Uh, it's not only warm and fuzzy and touchy-feely, but patients actually do better. So they're more satisfied with their care and they actually have better outcomes. Diabetes control is better. Hypertension control is better. Um, malpractice risk is lower for physicians. Mm-hmm. There are lots of benefits to it. And what's nice is it's simply having the attitude that it's important, that it's part of my job, and the skill set to be able to do it. And the skills are easy to learn. Resident physicians who make up a lot of our audience are often caught up in the thick of daily clinical duties. How would you suggest they take a step back and look at the big picture? It's, it's easy to get lost in, you know, okay, let's check the patient's sodium, let's check the patient's C. diff, and sure. not think about, Marsha or, you know, the mother of two kids or, right. you know, the actual, the person we're treating. Right. How do you suggest residents, uh, interns who are just, you know, trying to stay afloat, how they step back and look at the big picture? Yeah, that's a really important question. Uh, one suggestion, tongue only partially in cheek, would be read your medical school essay, <laughs> your application essay. Yes. And, you know, Very remind true. yourself why you wanted to do this. Or your and, essay for your essay for residency, actually. Or your essay for residency, <laughs> right. And, 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 you know, assuming you meant those words, don't let yourself move away from those core values. Yes. If, if residents are willing to learn who this person is a little bit, it will actually make them better doctors, more mm-hmm. astute diagnosticians, and more accurate, applying more accurate therapy. But also, it will decrease their risk of burnout and increase their satisfaction with the work they're doing day to day. So frankly, it's a no-brainer to keep the patient, not the, not the sodium, at the center of <laughs> our thinking. And yes, we have, yes. you know, when we appropriately check the sodium, we're helping the patient, but we shouldn't get obsessed with the sodium and forget right. who this person is. And, and I, I just want to reiterate, it doesn't take treating, much more time. Right. And then tre- treating the number or the lab value instead of treating the patient. Because sometimes exactly. you don't always want to correct everything just because the lab value says it's wrong. You have to look at the overall general picture. Exactly. Exactly. Physical exam is something that I've noticed, at least in my time in medical school and my short time with some residents. It has been, it has been really pushed away to the wayside. A lot of people are just, oh, we'll order the CT scan and we'll do this test and we'll do that test. And, you know, my father, he was taught in the, in the British system where they emphasized a physical exam very, very strongly. He's always telling me, you know, you should be able to do everything. You know, the stethoscope should tell you a lot. You should be able to hear the murmurs that well. You're supposed to be able to palpate the liver instead of re- relying on an imaging test. And, you know, physical um, exam has almost become a lost art. Do you believe that? I, I think you're correct there. What's interesting, I mean, even to back up before the physical exam, the history has in some ways become a lost art. The idea of (laughs) doing a patient-centered history and drawing out the patient's story in order to make an appropriate diagnosis as well as to 
make this patient feel heard, understood, and cared for has really fallen by the wayside, although it's being rediscovered. The last five or ten years have been a very exciting time Mm -hmm. where we've rediscovered a lot of the diagnostic power of the history, right? 75% or so of diagnoses can be made by the history alone. Definitely. Once we finish interviewing the patient, then we do examine the patient. And this Mm -hmm. is, I, I would agree with you that the the lack of expertise of a lot of residents in the physical exam is is, is evident. Mm-hmm. However, coupled with the history, a good physical exam can save a lot of money to the health system yes. or the patient, a lot of iatrogenic complications, and really help us focus our diagnostic workup so that you know we keep patients out of harm and and, and save some money. Um, there is an increased interest in rotations in resource poor areas, and there. Mm-hmm a physical exam really is worth its weight in gold. And residents who have an interest in global health, if for no other reason, um, learn their physical exam skills better so that they can rely on them in those resource-poor settings. The ACGME has done a great deal to address the um, hours residents' work. Do you believe that there are still some stresses of a new intern or a resident physician that still are not addressed? And what can we do about them? I think that becoming an intern is one of the biggest shifts that a person can make, right? The the transition from the summer after you graduate from medical school to being Mm -hmm. an intern is really, I I can't imagine, it's even more of a shift than getting married or having a child. You know, it's total, you go from, you know, most fourth years, uh, most fourth year students have a fairly easy year, you know, beyond the sub-internships. Right. And then suddenly you're immersed into this very high work hour, high uh, acuity, high demand mm-hmm. um, setting, and you are suddenly being asked for your advice. You're being asked to write right. orders. Uh, patients' lives are literally in your hands. And that, I mean, that's just incredible for a yeah. young person to suddenly be feeling that. So, of course, there are stresses. And work hours restrictions or uh, uh, revisions could never take fix that because, mm-hmm. it, it, in a way, it's not fixable. To be a physician means that patients rely on you for their lives, means that you need to be able to make decisions when you're tired and uh, and to have really good analytical skills. Mm-hmm. And those don't develop overnight. It takes hard work and a lot of patients passing through your your mind and your hands for right. you to develop that skill set. How to help house that? Yeah. Um, I think one way is to acknowledge it, acknowledge that this is a challenging time, and mm-hmm. provide space and time for house staff to talk about their challenges yeah. and struggles. Yeah. So, for example, in, in my residency program, I facilitate a support group for our interns that meets wow. once a week for an hour. And the interns give their beepers to their residents and actually have a sacrosanct hour over lunch to mm-hmm. talk about what's going on for them. Maybe wow. a patient died who they've grown attached to. Yeah, or yes. They're feeling really tired um, and, and uh, really, you know, starting to feel a little bit burnt out or, or mm-hmm. worried that their compassion is going. They right. can share that with a friend, you know, their fellow intern, and find out, oh, I'm not alone with this. And the very releasing of that sense of aloneness with this uncomfortable feeling actually helps make it better. Yeah, that's Even very though nothing important. got fixed, you know what I mean? Mm. It's just feeling heard. In the same way that as a doctor, we can help our patients feel better just by making them feel heard. 
Sure. Uh, medicine is very evolving. It's an evolving field with lots of dynamics. And now I, I've noticed a lot that uh, patients are coming to the clinic, and they're actually sometimes very smart about their diagnosis. And that's great. They're very empowered. Um, but how has this affected the physician-patient relationship, especially in the era of direct-to-consumer advertising and the Internet? Uh, frankly, um, patients come to the clinic saying, you know, I know what I have. Give me this certain script. You know, that may be patient-centered too, but isn't that an extreme? I would agree that it's an extreme. And my sense is that patient-centeredness doesn't mean doing what the patient wants. Patient-centeredness is a negotiation. It's a relationship. Mm -hmm. So we don't roll over. In fact, you know, there's patient-centered interviewing, but the care is actually relationship-centered care okay. because the physician counts too. Our job is to do what's best for the patient, not to kowtow to everything the patient demands. Mm-hmm. Direct-to-consumer advertising, in my view, has, is really harmful in that way. I mean, the whole purpose of that is to generate a market, right, to, to right. generate demand, and, and then patients come to us. But the worst thing we could do would be say, oh, okay, I'll write you that prescription. The best thing we could do is say, it sounds like you have some concerns. Tell me what your concerns are, and right. we can work together to find the best approach to manage it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, being curious about the demand rather than acquiescing to the demand or getting angry that there is a, that there is a demand is the best approach, I think. Mm-hmm. My three favorite words when I... Hit, come up against a patient who's yeah. got views that are very different than mine, they are, help me understand. Help me understand. So help, help, yeah, help me understand your thinking about why you want this prescription. And then the patient will tell a story, and then right. suddenly it, I can say, well, that, that makes sense given their worldview. Right. Now what can I do to help educate them about how things really are? You know? True, so true. It, help me understand. Very. Whenever I feel myself getting a little... Um, angry or agitated with a patient that mm-hmm. those three words pop into my mind and it really helps me understand them better well there's a lot of down. there's a lot of misinformation on the internet as well too a lot of, of people course. coming in saying i don't want this vaccine i don't want to catch this i don't want to get shingles vaccine and, you know unfounded fears and then again you have 15 minutes to try to talk to them and explain to them you know what's in their best interest it's yeah. just, just very challenging sometimes it is very challenging, and I think the direct-to-consumer advertising has made encounters sometimes more difficult because of the need to undo uh, misinformation. And, and the Internet has both wonderfully accurate information and very inaccurate information. Correct. When I'm faced with a patient who comes in with a, a big printout, yes. I'm usually, I usually first acknowledge and uh, express gratitude for the work they're doing on behalf of their health that they're very engaged in their health, and I want to support that. Right. And then I'm, I will offer my own opinion, um, but I'll, I'll ask permission first. What's oh, been shown okay. is that if a patient gives the doctor permission, they will be much more receptive to the message than I if see. the doctor provides his or her opinion without asking permission. I so see. I'll say something like, um, you know, thank you for this, this printout. Uh, looking at it here, you know, um, I have a, a bit of a different view on this uh, situation. Would, it, would you be interested in hearing my view? Mm-hmm. And if they say no, then conversation over. But most wow. of the time they'll say yes, and mm-hmm. their having said yes makes them more receptive to my message, more, mm-hmm. more likely to internalize it. So that's an important strategy. Definitely. 
Thank you, Dr. Fordham, very much for taking time out of your busy day to answer some of our questions about medicine, patient-centered care, and other areas of medicine which are on the minds of many residents and medical students who are listening to this show today. It was my pleasure, Imran. I want to wish you best of luck in your residency. That was Dr. Augustine Fortin, who's director of the psychosocial curriculum for the Yale Primary Care Internal Medicine Residency Program. He's an associate professor of medicine and is also director of communication skills at the Yale School of Medicine. Radio Rounds is a proud partner of the MedPlus Advantage Global Health Competition. The essays are in and the finalists have been chosen. Check out contestants' groundbreaking ideas and videos at www.medplusadvantagegc.com. Voting ends May 27th, so show your support as lives will be changed. More information can also be found on the Radio Rounds website. In the meantime, remember that you can download podcasts of all past episodes. Just search the iTunes store for Radio Rounds or visit www.radiorounds.org. You can also contact our team via email, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. All of that information at radiorounds.org. Production made possible in part by MedPlus Advantage, providing group disability and life insurance to students and residents through participating educational institutions. Visit us at medplusadvantage.com. AMA Insurance is pleased to introduce an individual disability insurance plan called Essentials for MedPlus Advantage participants. Through this plan, eligible graduating medical students have a special one-time opportunity to apply for high-quality individual disability insurance with no intrusive or time-consuming medical exams and only a few basic questions, and with discounted premiums. Apply now, as the enrollment period ends soon. Of course, remember that the views and opinions expressed on Radio Rounds are not representative of the views and opinions of partners of Radio Rounds. Thanks so much for joining us, everyone. It's been great to be back with you, and we hope you have a great week. For our entire staff here at Radio Rounds, I'm Shami Das, and one day, I'll be your doctor.